Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish, a collection of Michael's favorite interviews with authors from the last 30 years through today, on the air, on radio. What sets my book club apart is that I actually read the books. Book Club is now in session. Dr. Lena Wen has been a guest of mine previously on POTUS. She's also been a guest of mine on CNN. She's an emergency physician, public health professor at George Washington University. She's also a contributing columnist at the Washington Post. She's a medical analyst for CNN and now the author of a great brand new book, Couldn't Be More Timely, Lifelines, A Doctor's Journey in the Fight for Public Health. By the way, Dr. Wen, I left out because you left out on the back flat of the book the fact that you are also a Rhodes Scholar, not too shabby. <laughs> well, I appreciate being on with you as a guest on your show. I, I will make sure that that's part of part of my credentialing going forward. <laughs> well, it's impressive. I mean, it's it's quite a rags to riches story. You came to this country from having spent some of your formative years in Shanghai. Tell that story. Well, my parents and I came to the U.S. just before I turned eight. And in a way, ours is a typical immigrant story in that my parents worked really hard, but we still had trouble making ends meet. I mean, we came to the U.S. with $40. 
my parents were both professionals in China, but really had difficulty finding their way in the U.S. Um, my mother was studying to be a teacher, but she also cleaned hotel rooms and was working in a video store. My father was an engineer in China, but he couldn't speak English. And、um, even though we were granted political asylum, there were still、um, legal reasons and、um, and other reasons as to why he couldn't find employment easily. And so he delivered newspapers and was working in a restaurant. And I say all of this because growing up. Public health, in a sense, was our lifeline. As in, we didn't think of Medicaid or children's health insurance program as somehow this entitlement. It was the way that we were able to get healthcare.、Um, we depended at different points in our lives on food stamps, on public housing, and I think that definitely shaped my understanding of what. Is required in our society. As in, I remember growing up. For example, there was a boy living right next door to me that I start the book with, whom I saw struggle with breathing, who had an asthma attack in front of me that got more and more severe. And I had asthma growing up, and so could relate to this feeling of extreme breathlessness. And I knew he needed help, but his grandmother was too afraid to call for help because they were undocumented. And by the time she called for help, he actually—it was too late—and he had died, right in front of me. And early on, I understood how health is something that really should be a fundamental human right, but we don't see it that way in our society. I was so glad that you told that story in the book because so often, so-called sanctuary cities are are derided as being these what havens of socialism and lawlessness. But there's actually a public policy behind the approach, and the approach is fallible for sure. But the public policy is precisely the situation you witnessed, which is to say that if people are in a health emergency or victim of crime, we want them nevertheless to call the police because, in the latter scenario, otherwise there'll be a perpetrator out there who'll do the same thing to to someone else. That's exactly right, and think about for infectious diseases even more so because you wouldn't want someone to be not getting a vaccine because they're afraid of the authorities somehow being involved, and then in that case, that community could become a breeding ground and super spreader events for other people as well. And so, I think there are many reasons, including a humanistic, a humanitarian reason, but also a public health reason for making sure that people are able to get the basic. Necessity when it comes to healthcare. What's it like to be a prominent, very visible physician in the context of fighting a pandemic with origins in China? And what I'm really wondering is is if you've been subject to some of the vitriol that unfortunately has characterized this whole discussion and fight against COVID nineteen. Yeah, it's interesting, Michael, because for a long time I actually didn't really want to talk about this issue because I didn't want this to be about me. As in, why should I be talking about the the kind of the hateful rhetoric when there are so many AAPIs, there are so many people in this country who are facing racism in different ways? But actually, I began talking about this because I think it's important. I think it's important for us to call out racism when we see it, and also to work on improving our own language and to helping everyone who may be victims in some way. I mean, I will tell you that every time I'm on CNN, not when I write, because I think when I'm writing a column, people don't necessarily see what I look like. But definitely, every time I'm on CNN, there's something about my speaking about this pandemic. 
um, which people have associated with China, being Chinese American and also being a woman. I think somehow the combination of that spurs some type of um, of, of hatred that I couldn't have known really existed. And we've certainly seen this reflected across the AAPI community. I mean, there are so many reports of Asian people or people of Asian descent or looking like they're of Asian descent being targeted for violence, people being kicked and spat upon and assaulted, even stabbed in the U.S. Um, and by people who are blaming the coronavirus on them in some way. I mean, I am constantly being accused somehow of being part of the Chinese Communist Party, which is particularly insulting because my parents left China on political asylum. My father, my grandparents were jailed in China by the communist regime. So it's kind of, it's laughable in some way. But also what I really worry about is that there are people who are not abiding by the advice that I and some other physicians and public health experts are giving because we are Asian American. Um, and I think that that obviously has significant impacts on on public health, too. It also speaks to how the discussion of fighting the pandemic has so often raised issues. Uh, I don't know quite how to say this, that are partisan, that are based on matters that have nothing to do with the science. But unfortunately, people often retreat to their most familiar corners instead of having a, a discussion and debate about what's best for the country and what's best for us as individuals. And in some ways, I understand that, as in during a pandemic, just like in any crisis, it's a time of fear. And in times of fear, as you said, Michael, people do retreat. I mean, they retreat to a viewpoint that's comfortable. During right. the pandemic, we've asked people to do things that, that are uncomfortable, that they don't want to do. Wearing a mask, for example, we don't come from a mask wearing culture or getting a vaccine. And some people are scared of needles and scared of, of medical treatments. It, it, although what's happened is that there are political leaders, as we know, who've used this to their advantage or people in the media and others using that fear to their advantage. Um, and as a result, individuals who are scared might then go to these individuals who they trust on some level and say, well, see, this person doesn't think that masks are important or this person doesn't think that vaccines are needed. And that then has led us to this point where I think as Dr. Vivek Murthy, our Surgeon General, um, recently called out disinformation and misinformation as a public health crisis. And I think that's really important because the level of disinformation that's out there is actually taking away people's freedom. It's it's making people less empowered to make accurate, informed choices for themselves and their families. This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from SiriusXM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com.
If you're like me, it's now the end of the day and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. At Consumer Cellular, you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers, but for up to half the cost. Same thing, up to half the cost. Up to half the cost for the same thing. 50% the money for 100% the same thing. I hope I'm making myself clear. Consumer Cellular. When freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5-gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app. You have some unique experiences that you write about in the book Lifelines that I think have equipped you to be on the front line of advising us how we should fight the pandemic. I'm thinking, of course, of your position as the top public health official for the city of Baltimore. And then in the later chapters of the book, you also talk about how COVID literally hit home in your case. How did each of those prepare you to be in the position you are today? Well, I wrote Lifelines initially to tell the story of Baltimore. There, There is a saying, and actually this was the initial title for the book, which my publisher didn't love, but the title that I liked is based on the saying that public health saved your life today. You just don't know it. That so often public health works when it's invisible, as in we have succeeded when we've, we have prevented something from happening. The downside, though, is if you have prevented something from happening, there's no face of it, as in there is the face of a child who was lead poisoned. But what's the face of a child who could have been lead poisoned if not for the home True. remediation sure. that we did? And so how do you illustrate that? And that's what I wanted to show from Baltimore, that there were so many examples of things we did that actually made a tangible difference in people's lives. For example, I issued a blanket prescription for naloxone or Narcan, the opioid antidote, so that everyday residents used naloxone in our city to save more than 3,000 lives of fellow Baltimoreans in three years. That's an example of something tangible, concrete that you can do as a result of policy change and providing services. We also had a program in Baltimore that reduced infant mortality in our city by 38% in a seven-year period, illustrating the benefit of public-private partnerships. And by the way, we also focused very specifically on 
equity. We said it's important for us to reduce infant mortality, but also we need to focus on reducing disparities. And so in that same period of time, we cut the disparity between black and white infant mortality by over 50%. And so that certainly, I think all these lessons are applicable now in the time of COVID. And as you mentioned, just like with all of us, I also lived through COVID. I mean, we also are experiencing this professionally and personally. My husband actually contracted COVID um, right before the vaccines became widely available. My children came down with it as well. And that certainly is I mean, the last chapter of the book is called COVID Comes Home, something that I couldn't possibly have anticipated going through. Is your glass, I asked you this on CNN recently, and I want to do it on radio, big picture sense, is your glass half full or half empty in terms of where we stand as a nation today fighting COVID? I think it's half full because we actually have the tools at our disposal. We have the vaccines that are our best and only way out of this pandemic. I'm very optimistic that we can get out of this, but right now we're getting in our own way. I mean, the fact that we are now seeing nearly 10 times the level of infections compared to a month ago, that was something entirely preventable. It's extremely frustrating and I think is a reminder, too, of another lesson that I talk about a lot in in Lifelines, that public health is not just about science. You have to get the science right, but ultimately it's about winning over hearts and minds. It's about values and winning the public's trust. And so far we're doing well on the science and science ultimately is going to deliver us out of this pandemic, but we also really need to focus on the hearts and minds part. And that's the part that I don't think we're doing so well on. Dr. Wen, sometimes it's hard for members of the public, for lay people who lack your expertise and your medical knowledge to know what the science is. And and today, the day that you're with me is such a perfect example of what I'm thinking of. Uh, I have two essays posted on my website today and consequently in my newsletter. One is from The New York Times. Two physicians, pediatric specialists, both affiliated at Duke University School of Medicine. Okay, which to to me means um, reputable and I should pay attention to their opinion. It comes under the headline in The Times. We studied one million students. Universal masking works. If I go to The Wall Street Journal today under the headline, The Case Against Masks for Children, I have equally well-credentialed individuals, a physician from Johns Hopkins, another from Tufts who had served as the FDA's external advisory panel member for COVID-19 vaccines, their headline, the case against masks for children. How am I supposed to evaluate this information and make decisions as a policymaker or as a parent? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think this is what it comes down to about this concept of public health, not just being about the science, as in you could have one set of data and two very different interpretations of it. Let's say that those data show that masks do reduce the risk of transmission. But there are some people, including the writers of that Wall Street Journal article that that you mentioned, who do not think that COVID-19 in children is that big of a deal. I mean, I had actually debated Dr. Cody Meisner before on CNN, where, I mean, I was kind of shocked that somebody who with his type of, of credentials would argue that we don't need vaccines for children because COVID in children isn't that isn't that significant of, of an issue. And he's on the FDA's advisory committee, as you mentioned. So I was kind of shocked that that perspective exists. 
But you know, it is reasonable to say even okay. Let's just say that there are one set of data, and those data are that there are tens of thousands of children who have been hospitalized during this pandemic. There are hundreds of kids, over five hundred children, who have died during this pandemic. A lot of people, including me as a parent, looking at this would say, "Well, I don't want my children to become hospitalized. I don't want them to have long-term consequences. I don't want them to die." Somebody else might look at those data and say, "But this is out of a denominator of millions of kids, and so the、right. chance of something happening to kids is really low, and therefore I'm okay with that risk." Look, if you as a parent think that way, that is your prerogative, but you should not have the right to also make that decision for my children. And this is where the whole mask debate gets really complicated because it's this is not just saying, "Hey, your child can eat whatever they want to eat." That's true. That doesn't impact my children. But your child not wearing a mask and us not having a mask wearing policy impacts my children, all of our children, and also the ability of kids to spread COVID in the community and then impact other vulnerable people as well. So I definitely come on the side in this case of the New York Times article writers. Because they're frankly, they are right on not only the science but also on the values. I think for many of us parents, if you tell us that that there is the chance of something terrible happening to our children, that's low. You can reduce that risk to almost zero. Why wouldn't I want to do that, Doctor Wen? Isn't this just a precursor, a warm up for the real battle to come when the FDA says? The children under twelve can receive the vaccine, and now the question will be: There's already a half a dozen or other standard vaccinations that students across the country have to receive before they can be welcomed into a school environment. Will COVID nineteen be on that list? If a parent is saying you can't tell me to mask my child, I can't imagine they're going to allow vaccination. You are absolutely right. We're absolutely going to see this battle heat up in the coming months. I do think initially having vaccination be an option is going to be is really important because I do think that、um, it will. There are some people who are later adopters who want to see what happens initially, and there are plenty of parents, including me and my husband. We'll be very eager to have our kids be first in line to get vaccinated. So I think let those who want to do it go first, and then there will be a lot of others who want to come along as well. I think ultimately we are going to have to make a decision as a society about: Do we see COVID the same way that we see other illnesses? I think what really continues to baffle me every day is how there are people who are really anti-vaccine for whatever reason, an anti-COVID vaccine, but who would be very happy to go to the hospital to be treated if they got COVID, who have no issues with taking medications to prevent heart disease, for to reduce their cholesterol, but somehow are not treating. Covid in the same way, and at some point, my hope is that we can turn down the temperature and really regard Covid and the vaccine the same way that we do, as you said, other vaccines and other illnesses. What do you want to leave my audience with about your book, Lifelines? What would you most like them to know? I want them to see Lifelines as a positive story, an uplifting story of public health. That if people are wondering what it is that public health can do, whether it comes to food safety or improving the lives of the most vulnerable seniors or children, or improving maternal health, that there are examples all around the country, including from Baltimore,、um, where I, where I am and come from,、um, of what public health can do and. 
how, in a sense, all of us have our own story of public health. I also share in Lifelines many very personal stories about um, my becoming a mom, struggling with infertility, postpartum depression, many other parts that are very personal, very challenging to write. And I hope that people who want to see um, a human face, if you will, of public health will, will choose to read Lifelines as well. Dr. Wen, thanks so much for being here and for reading the book, which I thoroughly enjoyed, read, learned a great deal about you that I didn't previously know. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for your work. Lena's, Lena Wen's book is called Lifelines, A Doctor's Journey in the Fight for Public Health. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the Sirius XM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays.